This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at cosmicpotatonetwork.com. Watching television, watching television. Watching television, watching television. I need all the image, I need all the sound. I know the info right into my mind. Hey everybody, welcome back to Trial by Pilot. This is the show where we judge an entire series of television and the work of hundreds on one episode. I'm Bill Lynch. I'm Elizabeth Lynch. And we're talking about The Stand. So you said this was based on a book. <laughs> yes, it's a Stephen King novel. Stephen King novel. It's a 1978 Stephen King novel. Uh, it's pretty widely regarded as one of his best Oh, books. really? Yeah. It was on a bunch of lists. I just briefly looked up some history on it because... I think I knew it was Stephen King, but anytime I heard The Stand, it conjured up imagery of like a courtroom drama or yes. something like that. That's exactly what I thought. That That's the same. I had the same reaction. It's too bad. Like our, so we've had um, our brother-in-law Ken on, on the podcast before, and he's a big fan of this show. Well, we don't know that yet. What? That he's a big fan of the show. Well, he's a big fan of the book, I should say. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I should say he's a big fan of the book. And we were going... I know, We know he's seen it, the pilot, but we didn't get a chance to really talk about it with him. So, Well, I know he and his daughter were going to try to look at the conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter tonight. They've had a, a big plan to oh, okay. bring out her new telescope. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I hope they got to. It was a little bit cloudy, but... Yeah. I didn't get to see it. It was too cloudy. So anyway, timing, it didn't really work out scheduling wise to have him on. But anyway. So yeah, this has been on, the novel has been on lists from like BBC, Rolling Stone of the best novels of all time. Like it's a pretty, pretty well regarded. Have you read it? No. Have you read any Stephen King? We've talked about this before, I think. Because we've watched other Stephen King shows. Yeah. What was the, what was the show we watched? Something with a C. It was in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think I have. Maybe I did when I was much younger. I read a book or two, but I'm not like a big Stephen King yeah. guy, you know? Yeah, me neither. Um, but people really like this. I think there was another another iteration of it at some point, but now CBS All Access is doing one. Ooh, our favorite. Our favorite platform, CBS All Access which charges $6 for CBS quality, CBS level quality content with commercials still. <laughs> so it's basically just like... I'll never get over that. <laughs> like, what the F? I mean, you can get, can get the even more premium package and not have commercials. When we well, turn I, this think, I think that Ken got a free trial for it just for this show. Yes. So I don't know if they'll be keeping it but yeah he did get the free trial um yeah was it a week or a month free trial i don't remember whatever it was it seemed like too much effort but so we just borrowed theirs <laughs> yeah when i pulled it up and it said like 59 minutes for this pilot i was like P tell me there are commercials in this fucking pilot of this like show you're advertising the shit out of <laughs> there was not there was not and <laughs> i can't remember now yeah i think we were making fun of cbs all access a while back because you could sign up for a free trial and then either choose 
the premium option or the option where you still had commercials? <laughs> like who, <laughs> who's choosing? Well, what's the price difference? It's $6 with commercials. A month? A month. Six or seven. <sighs> and then it's more than that, obviously, for... That's just so dumb. Just split the difference and <laughs> charge a little bit more. You and know not what I mean? commercials, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, because... Or don't charge that fucking much. You're, you're CBS. You're a huge network. Like, you have advertising on your... <sighs> Whatever the premium cost was, was... Not quite, but almost the level of like a Netflix subscription for just CBS original content. <laughs> now they have like some other junk on there too, but yeah. All right. Let's talk about The Stand. Okie dokie. It starts with a Whoopi Goldberg voiceover as we like pan over this cornfield. Oh, was she doing the voiceover? Yeah. Oh, okay. And it was this like prophetic voiceover about God and evil or something mm. along those lines. And then we leave the cornfield and we go to Boulder, Colorado, where there's a full church full of these like horrific bloated corpses ridden, riddled with maggots. Oh, it was disgusting. The visuals just, yeah. it was and, powerful. And s- some of them have like, I don't know, like goiter looking growths in their neck, like yeah. filled with like liquid. And then like a crew comes in to like start dragging out the bodies, I guess. And we hear... I don't remember if it was a news clip or somebody says it, that 7 billion people have died. So one of the guys said it. One of the guys that was helping pull bodies out. Yeah. He said to the other one, like, hey, like, I get it. Because the one guy, like, came out and was, like, throwing up. He's like, hey, I get it. Like, when I was first in EMT, it was rough. Like, but, you know, 7 billion people died, man. Like, telling him, like, to feel like, Uh, don't feel bad about it. And then there's a few of them scavenging in houses. One guy is like picking out DVDs and like this younger guy asks him like, why are you always looking for movies? He's like, well, you know, when society gets back to normal, I'm going to start up a drive-in movie theater, you know, like just trying Mm -hmm. to stay sane. And then we jump back to five months before this all happened. And a girl is tending to her sick father in their backyard as this guy, a young guy from the scavenging scene is looking through a hole in the fence. So did you connect right away that it was the same person? Because I did not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was covered up pretty well in the futuristic scenes. Yeah. But he had like a pretty distinct face, I thought. Okay, I just didn't realize. And the girl brings her father inside. And as this guy like backs away from the fence, he's jumped by these like two bullies who yank him away from the fence and like try to beat him up. But they start to chase him down. And... He's getting away on his bike, but then sees a crow eating, I think it was a human scalp on the ground. And so he like swerves, crashes. And as he's walking home along this boardwalk, he sees just like crowds of people like sneezing and like everyone seems sick. Yeah. Put on your masks. Um, <laughs> I know this was like a little weird to be watching this now. <laughs> like when did they film this? Yeah. You know. And so he arrives home to first opening a rejection letter, which is one of many he's received. Mm -hmm. And he goes into his room and like pins it up to this big nail on his wall. Like that's just filled with rejection letters. Uh, He's trying to uh, get published. Right. Not college rejection letters. And we find out his entire family is sick except for him. His mom's in bed, his sister's in bed. She was supposed to be having a bridal shower or something, but Mm -hmm. she's sick. And then we jump to an army research facility 
where Stu, played by James Marsden, is in an isolation room with a bunch of guinea pigs. And the scientist comes in and, you know, tells him, like, listen, I know you've been holed up here for a couple of days. I'll answer any questions you have at this point. And so he's like, well, why aren't you wearing a mask like everybody else? And he said, well, there's this virus and guinea pigs respond the same way humans do. And you've been in this room with these guinea pigs. They're not showing any symptoms. You don't have the virus. Mm -hmm. The reason they think he would have the virus is because we flash back and see him outside of this, I don't know, store. He's on like a porch somewhere. Right. And a car crashes. He He's like with a bunch of guys. Were they like drinking outside of that Yeah, they thing? were like hanging out outside the store or something, just drinking. Yeah. So a car crashes next door at like this gas station. So him and his buddies go run to help. And they find this like very sick family inside. Like mucus is all over their faces. The car already stinks. Yeah, it was gross. And so back at this army facility, this doctor is telling him like everyone else that you were with was infected by what we think is some kind of super flu and they're all dead. Every single one of them died. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just from bits that Stu put together, this, this guy who was driving the car drove 1700 miles from a bioweapons facility in California to Texas. I think he was in Texas, right? Yeah, they were in Texas. And so now the government is trying to con contact trace where this guy was. And so far, Everyone he's been in contact with is dead except for Marsden. He's not showing any symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so they want to draw his blood and do all these tests and try to figure out what he has that they can, you know, try to come up with a vaccine or something. Right. And so he reluctantly agrees, like, okay, do, do what you have to do. And a nurse comes in to start taking his blood and she sneezes and he, like, gives her a look and she's like, allergies. Right. <laughs> like, okay, we get it. Mm -hmm. She's definitely sick. Uh, Harold, the like awkward guy who was looking through the girl's fence mm -hmm. so, some short time after all this happens, he's riding his bike again. And there's just like dead people in the streets. He can't find anyone. He's like calling out for people. And so like, apparently this happened really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so he can't find anyone until Fran, this girl that used to babysit him and he's like been creeping on. Right. Uh, very, very creepy by the way. Like really creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's clear he has a thing for her, and it becomes even more clear later on. But, like, yeah, he's, like, spying yeah. on her, basically. He, so I guess she babysat him, and then she's also, like, best friends with his sister. Yeah. So, like, that comes up at some point. But, like, he's just, like, really, like, creepy. Like, he purposely is, like, going towards her house, calling out for people. Right. Like, he quietly go approaches her fence to peep through it to see if she's there. Then, when he realizes that she's there, he, like, quietly backs up and then acts like he's like, hello, is anybody there? Is yeah, anyone yeah. alive? You know. <laughs> and so they get into an argument because she's, like, hanging around. She's like, you know, once this dies down, someone's going to come and take my father's body and, you know, yeah. we'll be fine. He's like, listen, no one's coming. Right. And so he storms off. And she goes back inside and we see her father also has this like crazy looking thing on his neck, like filled with mucus. And she like comes to the realization, like maybe, maybe Harold was right. Mm -hmm. And so she like starts to like try to wrap him up and like put some of his military pins on him. Yeah. Metals. Then Harold, when he leaves, he finds a cop car crashed into an antique store. And so he takes the cop's gun for protection 
and then he sees an old typewriter in this broken window and like kind of is eyeing it up. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't see him take it, but like that's the implication. Right. And so we see Franny dragging her father's body outside to bury him in the garden as we're listening to an announcement from the president, I think. They, mm-hmm. they never said, but I think that was the yeah. uh, implication. You know, saying this was not a biological weapon produced by the United States. We've never uh, done any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Um, and as she's listening and watching on TV, the power goes out. Mm-hmm. Then we see her in a cornfield. And she's walking through this cornfield and we hear like echoey children's laughter. Yeah. It's like a stock. Yes. <laughs> stock children's yes, laughter absolutely. noise. <laughs> Uh, and she comes to this little clearing in the cornfield and she finds a little baby doll and then Whoopi appears in front of her mm-hmm. and introduces herself as Abigail. And she's like, listen, this is important. You need to come see me at this house in Colorado. Can you remember that for me? And then she wakes up from this dream. Mm-hmm. And then we see Stu, James Marsden's character. He's taken from this facility that he's in and they're heading to the CDC center in Vermont. And, you know it's becomes clear as he's like leaving this facility that other people in there are infected. And so him and this other doctor are trying to get themselves out of there. Right. And they join this caravan with this other like burly military guy who intimidates James Marsden into putting on a hood. So he can't find out where they're, uh, where they're going, where they're going in Vermont. So they get there and he's talking with the friendlier doctor in this like downstairs room. He's by himself again. And then that doctor coughs as he's leaving the room. Then we see so, like, at what point are these people going to put on some PPE? I'm just wondering. Yeah. There's, like, it, everyone's so cavalier. Like, even even the doctor that is, like, working with Stu, he's like, well, you're not contagious, so I don't need to wear a mask. Like, you should just wear one anyway. Maybe this is, like, right. talking is, like, now we, I feel like we've aged 10 years this year. And, like, <laughs> we just, like, know too much. To watch this show yeah <laughs> yeah because a couple of times they showed researchers in the cdc facilities wearing stuff but other than that like nobody was nobody. even these guys who knew like okay this is a super virus that's wiping people out right now yeah. and they're not wearing anything they're not wearing like any type of like mask or you know like i feel like people should be in like full like hazmat suits in these places where they're studying the virus right right <laughs> and so we go back to harold who is shining up some leather boots and like uncovers like two motorcycles in I don't know, maybe his parents garage. Mm -hmm. And so he goes over to Franny's house again after like rehearsing over and over again, what he was going to say to her to try to convince her to come with him. So he goes over there. There's no answer at the door. So he just goes into the house, goes up the stairs and he hears the shower running, but she doesn't respond. Yeah. So he kicks in the door to the bathroom and finds her unconscious in the bathtub after having taken like a shit ton of pills. Right. And gets her to throw up. And we see her like barf up all these pills and stuff. Yeah. And so she's upset that he saved her. She's like, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says he's returning the favor because she was the one who stuck that nail in his wall when they were kids and told him never to give up writing. And he still hangs up every rejection later there and he still hasn't given up yet. Um, and if 99% of humanity is dead, which is what the news was projecting then they're a part of the future if they've survived this virus. Mm-hmm. And like a creepy face, like, we're going to have to do it. Maybe. <laughs> she like knows he's a creep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was weird because, you know, he was presented as one of the two protagonists of this pilot. 
Mm-hmm. But like right away, he's like looking through this fence at this girl, which was creepy enough. But then like as it keeps going on, you're like, is this like the good guy, quote unquote? Yeah, like, yeah. There's some, something wrong with him. Also, while this scene was going on, I'm Going Through Changes was playing, which is the theme song to Big Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> which is like how we know the song, basically. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just such a contrast between this show and that show. Uh, and so his plan is to head to Atlanta, to the CDC. And she's like, actually, that's kind of a good idea. That seems yeah. like the place that we should go to. Then Stu wakes up. And he's in a cornfield. Or there's a cornfield like outside his little room. Mm-hmm. And so he walks into it and he hears a baby crying. And so he follows that noise to the center of this like little tiny crop circle. And... There's a wolf there this time with red eyes. And so he wakes up just as this sick doctor is coming in and telling him, I've got it. The other doctor has it. Everyone everyone here has it, it seems like. Right. You got to get yourself out of here. Uh, no one's even heard from the general, the four-star general who's supposed to be in charge. But he doesn't know how to get out of the facility. Like, he can't get past this, like, one level. Yeah. And then the other guy comes in, like, this big burly doctor who's, like, a jerk-off. Comes in with a gun, uh, struggles with the other doctor, shoots him in the chest and kills him. But then Stu, who was handed a scalpel mm-hmm. from the other doctor, slices this guy's throat, who has like this like. He's growth. already got the gross, big. Yeah. So he neck. slices his throat and like all this like s- stuff spews out of it, kills him and takes his gun. And just then the door opens and a voice on the intercom tells him, follow the red lights. And so he starts going up and we, we see someone watching him from the control room with all these cameras. Mm-hmm. And it's the four star general played by J.K. Simmons, who has Stu come up to his control room, gives him a key card to get out as he's like coughing. So he's done for too. Right. And he's like, before you go, just indulge me in this. And he reads him a poem from a Yates, book. That, I think. Yeah. It was a book that his daughter gave him mm-hmm. who just died like four days ago. I think he said. And then after he's done with the poem, he shoots himself in the chest and Stu escapes the facility. Which was disappointing because I, I like him and I was like, oh, he's not going to be in this yeah. show anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's good and he was really good yeah. in this like brief scene. I was like, ah, oh, he's dead. <laughs> he's great. I like the other doctor too. I wanted to look up where I knew him from. Yeah. I couldn't figure out where I knew him from either. I think that he was in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's not where I know him from. I didn't think that that's where you knew him from, but I, maybe it was on a show we watched. He seemed very familiar. Yeah, we'll have to look it up. Yeah. So Harold and Franny head off on their motorcycles, and then we jump to present day Boulder, where Harold is again on this cleanup crew, cleaning up bodies, and typing on a typewriter afterwards when he goes back to whatever place he's staying in. And he's typing like this like strange, ominous stuff about how you shouldn't change for the world. The world needs to change for you. And he's not going to let go of all this hate he has because he's had so many wrongs done to him. Just like, you know, weird stuff he's typing. Mm-hmm. And so he meets up with Stu and Franny, who are together. And not only that, she's pregnant now uh, on the street. And he like puts on this fake smile. But then he goes home and he writes something else and basically ends with i'm gonna kill Stu and maybe her too yeah so did you see this coming because i totally saw this coming once james marston's character got out of the facility i was like 
Oh, he's absolutely gonna hook up with Franny. Like <laughs> they're did. gonna make a baby. I didn't even think about it. I did. That was the first thing I thought, just because he's just like, ob- <laughs> he's like the obvious choice. Where he, where this guy's like such a creep, you don't want to, like, you know, weirded out by him. <laughs> Could you imagine going into the apocalypse with like, ugh? You're like semi stalker. Yeah. Like, could you think, do you have, like, someone on your mind who you would not want to be in the apocalypse with, and then you're, like, stuck with them, and then you get up with, like, the rest of the group, and you kind of want to ditch that person, because you're, like, I'm very (laughs) uncomfortable with everything right now? Who's it for you? Well, I don't know. (laughs) A couple ideas, but. (laughs) Then he has this weird vision of a wolf again, but then of a silhouette of a man, like, coming out of the shadows. And the man extends out his hand. And he has like some kind of rock, little a little pebble with some like carvings in it, and the carvings start to glow red. Yeah, it's like some mystical shit. Lava. Lava. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut back to this guy who was from the bioweapon facility in California, who like basically started this all. And we see him like at his station in this like glass encased room, and like something's going down. All these alarms going off and this woman comes to the windows outside his post and is like banging on the glass and like spreading like, you know, her goopy mucus all over the window. And so he's like, oh, shit, something serious is happening. He hits this button. The whole building locks down. We see all this spray coming down from the ceilings to uh, decontaminate everything. All the doors shut, except for his door gets stuck open halfway. Yeah. And he like considers it for a second and he looks at a photo of his wife and his daughter and he decides to run out and, yeah. and escape the facility. As he does, the camera pans down and we see a foot holding the door open. Yeah. And so as he's driving away with his family, he gets his daughter and his wife and they're driving away and he sees a man on the highway attempting to hit, to hitchhike, which I, I'm pretty sure was the same guy because they, they kept like showing his boots. Mm, okay. And he drives past him, but then he looks in his rearview mirror and he sees the man in his back seat with his daughter. Yeah. And that was the end of the pilot. And you were like, wait, what? I was like, how did he get back there? (laughs) And I was like, he's like a magic guy. And I was like, oh God, is there going to be magic? But. I mean, I, I thought it was obvious there was going to be some kind of like weird magic religion mystical something in the show even whoopi goldberg's character is like reaching out to these people's dreams to to bring them to colorado you know i'm picky about how i let that enter my my shows yeah yeah uh what did you think overall of the pilot to the stand um i thought that like overall i thought it was good i thought that the acting was really good and the story was definitely engaging and it had enough like creep and intrigue and mm-hmm. you know stuff that are like normal turnoffs for me weren't so much of a turnoff. The laugh track bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, it's sometimes there were certain times there I was like, oh god, is this going to be like another fucking Walking Dead? Is it like mm. not that it's they're obviously not fighting zombies, but you know just. The apocalypse is just, you know, it's done a lot. And so sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. 
Yeah. And so I just wasn't sure. Sometimes I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I can do this. But I did think it was really good. Will I continue to watch it? I didn't ask you that yet. Oh, all right. You go. <laughs> Give me your opinion. I'll save it. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Like you said, I, I thought the acting was good. I mean, James Marsden is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the good actors in it are already dead. The guy Harold made some weird choices, and I couldn't tell if it was like a character thing. You know? Probably because he's weird. Well, he's I, supposed to be so He's supposed weird. to be creepy and awkward. Yeah. And it was creepy and awkward. But everybody else was good. There were a few editing things that felt like networky to me. Like what? Just when James Marsden walks into the general's office and like they cut to the scenes of the cameras. It just felt like if this was a, a like a really great HBO show or something, it would have looked a little bit better. Okay. Min- minor complaint. Minor well, complaint. What is CBS? All access. Yes. Yes. I, you know, for the most part, it looked good. And I don't want to be too hard on this show just because it's on CBS All Access and I hate CBS All Access. Um, <laughs> for no particular reason I just think it's ridiculous yeah I thought for an apocalyptic story it was pretty intriguing mm-hmm. you know of course almost everyone starts out with some disease many of them turn into zombies and this one didn't which is a nice change Right. I thought that whole th- story about how this came to be and these characters trying to get out and rebuild uh, even even the stuff with creepy Harold was intriguing and engaging. Mm-hmm. It started to lose me a little bit in the fantastical stuff, right? Which which I'm certainly more open to than you are. Mm-hmm. But for a network show to try to pull it off, you know, he like holds out the hand, his hand, and this like magical gem starts to glow. Right, right. I, I don't know. I just I have reservations about that. Maybe maybe they'll do it well. I have reservations about it, and actually. Mm-hmm. When I was trying to research stuff just quickly on the history of the stand, I saw just like the headline of some review, like, you know, this part is good. The part where it loses you is where it tries to become this like biblical, like good versus evil magic, uh-huh. whatever thing. It's it's just like yeah. too much. It's too much for a CBS show. Yeah. Because oh. I feel like without that, it's still like an interesting concept. If you're going to do, not that it's a new concept, but like... It seemed like they were doing the whole apocalypse thing well. Yeah. So why not do that well? But then you're like throwing in this like glowing bead. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, though, if they didn't have any of that stuff, would it just be like, oh, cool. There's a man-made disease that wipes out most of the yeah. human population. Like you need another spin on it. Yeah. Um, and I guess this guy is going to be either the devil or some personification of evil. I, I think it's like a very, yeah. a very like black and white good versus evil kind of thing at the end. Okay. It's like what the little bit I've read about it has led me to believe. Mm-hmm. So I guess that guy's bad and maybe Whoopi Goldberg yeah. is good or, or something. But yeah, I mean, overall it was a competently done show. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm intrigued enough to keep watching. I don't think I'm, I think the timing of this is bad. Now I know it's already like, come, you know, it's already a book, you know, the story already exists in the world, but like the watching it now where we sit still in the midst of a pandemic 
<laughs> I don't know if I want to sit and watch this where it's like where they don't turn into zombies. So it's just that much more realistic where like 99% of the population is wiped out and you're just like, uh, yeah, you I mean, know, like, I think that was tough for this episode. I don't think that's going to be in future episodes. Yeah. I think like now it's these survivors. Mm hmm forming whatever factions and like this bad guy and this good person like trying yeah. to lead them down the right path i don't think there's gonna be much more like pandemic infectious disease kind of stuff yeah it is just weird watching something like that sure when you're like no 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 this is how pandemics really work when you're like watching something and like because every because yeah. when has anyone actually lived through a pandemic that was making television last year nobody Right, right. You know, so it's like, oh, well, it'll. Well, this is how we'll do it. We're like now. Yeah, and you know, some of it was seems a little unrealistic to me. Like this bio weapon facility, something happens. This virus gets released. It's airborne, mm -hmm. and everyone there gets it, but this guy locks it down so no one can get out except he gets out because the devil wants him to or some shit. Right. So he's the only one at this point with the infection. And by the time he drives, I assume straight from California to Texas, what's that? Like a day, mm -hmm. 18 hours or something. <laughs> and people like apparently come down with these symptoms really fast and die really fast, but it spreads worldwide and kills 7 billion people while the U S government knows that this happened and is trying to stop it. Right. They can't just shut everything down and stop it from spreading. I don't know. You know, people, Seem people don't want to be told to stay home. Well, <laughs> We know how that goes. <laughs> but they didn't portray it like that. They portrayed right, it as right. like this wild thing that like just spread across the globe. Yeah. So you don't think you're going to continue? I don't think so. I don't think I will either unless maybe Ken says, no, it's great. You should really mm -hmm. keep watching. Maybe then I will. Yeah. But I do have a couple other things that I just realized have come back recently that I need to catch up on. Like what? Season two of His Dark Materials on HBO oh. just came back. I would like to watch that. I haven't watched a lot of TV for myself lately. I've been playing a lot of more video games like the last month. Yeah, you have been really into your video games lately. I mean, I really just don't play for a while. And then when there's a game that I really like and get into, I just want to play it all the time. Yeah. Um, so would you recommend The Stand? I don't. I don't know. Would you suggest people get premium CBS All Access accounts to watch The Stand? No. Okay. <laughs> so then I suppose I don't recommend it. I mean, I think. But I'm very curious to hear what Ken has to say. So we'll have to report back, like, yeah. you know, what his, his take was. It wasn't good enough for me to be that intrigued. Yeah. I mean, if, if there were. We watched enough dark stuff, too. That, like, this isn't really doing it for me. Like, we're still watching Lovecraft Country. Oh, yeah. That show's great. Yeah, that's I some, really like it. That has some weird stuff in it. Oh, very weird stuff. Where you're like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. I don't want to watch it anymore. I can't stop watching it. <laughs> you know, like, that show's just good. But I don't know about this, man. Yeah, I mean, if you are a big fan of the book and want to see another adaptation... Certainly watch it if you're a fan of other King stuff. It's such a weird mix of genres, like this dark horror, fantasy, futuristic, post-apocalyptic thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm curious to maybe read more reviews. I mean, hey, 
the book apparently is great. A lot of people love the book. So apparently it can be done, but will this adaptation do it justice? Right. I don't know. Remains to be seen. Um, all right. Anything else? No, I don't think so. Great, great, great. Uh, if you have suggestions on shows for us to watch in the new year, please email them to trialbypilot at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at trialbypilot. And please go on to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, subscribe to the show, leave a review, and tell a friend. And thank you to The Beats for providing our theme music. Thanks, Beats. Bye. Bye. Watching television.